Amen. Yeah, we're going to be in John chapter 12 today. If you have your Bibles or uh, your Dwell app or your Uversion app on your phone works too, John chapter 12, of course, I'll put some stuff on the screen here for you as well. You know, over these past years, I have had the privilege and the opportunity to perform quite a few funerals as part of uh, my responsibilities here. And one thing I have discovered from doing these is that every single person is always remembered for something. There's always some special characteristic or unique quality about each person that, that we remember specifically. I mean, I think about people, and this is just a short list, people like Kathy Patterson, who I remember as being generous and, and not just generous, but servant-hearted. I think of people like Val Bressler, who had this heart for worship that we just sang about, and she was incredible at her desire to serve. I think about the Todd and Lise, who, of course, were caring and loving and, and, and were friends to all. I think about these people that made special impacts in our life because we remember this certain characteristic about them. And, and, and the list, I could go on and on about people in my life, but I know there are some even some famous people that all of us know that you would remember for a certain characteristic or quality. Like, for instance, if you think about Abraham Lincoln, we all learn that Abe Lincoln was known for his honesty, right? Um, or people like uh, Rockefeller, known for generosity. You have Mother Teresa, known for her care and her selflessness. You have people like William Wallace, known for bravery and passion and all these things. All of these are good qualities to be remembered by. All of them are good. But what about this? Wasteful. What do you... What do you think when you hear this word? I tell you, I don't instantly associate this with anyone doing anything good. In fact, I would highly doubt that any of you in this room would want this word associated with your names. It wouldn't be good. However, today, I want to look at this John chapter 12 because in it there's a story. And there's a story of a young woman. And this young woman will forever be known as being embarrassing, inappropriate, irresponsible, and downright wasteful. And yet, in Matthew chapter 26, we're told that Jesus said her deed will be remembered and discussed. So what happened? Well, let's look at these first eight verses. John chapter 12 says this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was one among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, it says. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said... That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. I love this note that John makes here. Because he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And then Jesus replied to them, Leave her alone. 
She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So we see this story taking place, and it begins with them all having dinner together. And, and Jesus had just healed Lazarus, and so they're coming over to Lazarus' house with Martha and Mary, the people he loved and cared for so much, and he's bringing the disciples along with him. It's a big crowd, and they're gathering for dinner in honor of Jesus to celebrate him. And I can almost picture the scene of what's going on here. If they're anything like my friends and I, you're gathered around the room, we're eating a lot, probably overeating, we're all laughing, there's chaos, we're probably talking trash to one another, telling stories, Peter's going on and on about some big fish he supposedly caught, and then we got Martha, she's serving dinner, she's doing all the details, she's making sure everyone's happy, all that stuff's going on. Lazarus, can you imagine what he must be talking about? I mean, the guy was just raised from the dead, I'm sure he's got a thing or two to say, and you have all of this laughter, all of this chaos, and all of this commotion until silence. Silence as Mary steps forward, and she does the unthinkable. She pours out an entire bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, we read this, and we don't really even think much of it. But I tell you, even though it might not seem like such a big deal to you, for those in this room at the time, I assure you, it would have been looked at as embarrassing, irresponsible, inappropriate, and wasteful. In fact, Matthew, Matthew records the same story in his book that John does here, and Matthew gives us a few more details. He tells us that this is what was happening. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. They weren't happy about this. They weren't happy with Mary, which is kind of odd to me because Mary's not a foolish woman. She's intelligent. I'm sure she crunched the numbers here. She knew very well how much this bottle of perfume was worth. She knew what it could mean for her future, her literal future, to pour this bottle out on the feet of Jesus. And I know she wasn't clueless. She had a clear perspective and a clear mind when she did this. She drew a line in the sand, and in one single moment, Mary weighed her finances, she weighed her possessions, her status, her reputation, and her future, her life, against the worth of her Savior, and she found them to pale in comparison. Mary knew the true worth of Jesus, and none of those things could even come close. She was willing to waste it all on Jesus. And that brings me to the bottom line truth for today. If you remember nothing else that I have said today, I want you to walk out of here remembering this one line, that wasting it all on Jesus is never a waste. Never. So the questions that I asked myself this week, and I figure, hey, if I'm wrestling with these questions, you might as well be wrestling with these questions too. So here you go. Let's wrestle with these together. Question one, am I willing to waste it all on Jesus? 
then am I willing to do this? That means am I willing to waste my resources, my finances, my status, my reputation, my life? Am I willing to risk all of those things for the sake of Jesus? Which brings me to my second question that I had to wrestle with. Well, if I say yes to that, then do I have the perspective of Mary? Meaning, do I have the perspective that all of those things pale in comparison to the worth of my Savior? Which then led me to a third question, and that is what will this look like or require? What will it look like in my life or what will require of my life to live like this? I mean, how in the world are we even supposed to do that? So to answer these questions, I went to Mary this week. I went to her story, and I kind of tore it apart. Because I wanted to see from her example of wasting herself what that meant. And what I found out is that it could cost you. It could cost you in several ways. The first way it can cost you is financially. It could cost you. Remember what it said in verse 3? Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard and she anointed Jesus's feet with it so here's what we know we know nard was made as an essential oil it comes from a plant Um, it's sometimes called spike nard and I can tell you from personal experience that it has a very strong odor in fact I didn't like it at all I thought it was disgusting but this odor, it, it, was, it was used as a perfume in this time. In fact, many in this culture of Rome, they thought that the smell of spikenard was an indication that the best had been offered. When you smelled this odor, and rest assured you would smell it, you would know that this person had used the best that they could possibly get their hands on. And not only was it the best, but it was a symbol a symbol of love. In fact, it was the Old Testament scriptures that pointed towards that nard was used between a bride and a groom, meaning that the spike nard that they would use, it represented their passion for each other and their desire to have only the best to find their love. Again, this was something that was known as the best and it was a symbol of love. Incredible. Not only that, it was expensive. I mean, this stuff was costly. And Mary poured out 12 ounces of this expensive expression of love onto the feet of Jesus. And I'm telling you what, with the smell of spikenard, one drop would have done the trick, but she used all 12 ounces. You know, this perfume that she had It was probably brought in from India. That's where they grew the plants. And some theologians even believe that the single bottle of nard could have potentially been Mary's marriage dowry. This is her future she's talking about. This single 12 ounces we find out is worth a year's worth of pay. Now, I don't know how much money you make per year, but let's just throw out some numbers. In today's day... Perhaps this bottle of perfume could have cost somewhere between thirty-six dollars and $55,000. This is a big amount. To say that it was a waste when it ran over Jesus' feet and into the dirt is an understatement. And the disciples knew the cost of this perfume, and they were shocked. I mean, think about it. 
What if your husband or your wife took a bottle of $50,000 perfume and dumped it over someone's feet? How would you react? That's how the disciples were feeling. In fact, we know this because Judas reacted, and it says this in verse 5, that perfume, this is Judas speaking, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor, he said. Now, knowing who Judas is, this kind of makes me laugh a little bit because let's be honest, Judas was a deceiver. He was a thief. I'm certain that he spoke these words not from probably the best heart. Regardless, you get the picture. And honestly, it's hard to not feel this way a bit. I mean, let's take it for instance. We live in the age of Dave Ramsey. So, okay, so you take 10% of this and you give it to your savings account, which is a good thing to do. That's wise. And then you take 10% and you give it to the church. You know, you, that's, a, that's a good thing to do. And then you maybe take 30%. You could donate it to missions or ministry areas, things happening in our community or even around the world. You could make a big difference with that. And then you still have 50% to spend however you want. This is a good thing. Mary wasted this money. It was financially devastating for her future. And yet, what was Mary's perspective? Her perspective was that wasting it all on Jesus. Never waste. Never. Mary weighed the cost here. It She understood what Jesus said in verse 8 before he even said it, when he said, look, you will not always have me. Mary knew this, and she recognized the Lord was worthy of all that she could give him and more. And his worth was far, far greater than her financial future. She got this. To which I go, okay, I I think I, I... And I wrestled with this question, is my devotion to the Lord costing me financially? I mean, I got to be honest, I don't know. I like to be safe. I like to have a little nest egg. It's kind of nice to have a little, you know, emergency fund. It's smart. It's smart. But I wonder if maybe I'm relying on that. A little much, or if, like I'm using that to just control things, you know? I don't know what's my heart here. To which then it led me to my second question Does my checkbook reflect my love for Jesus? Um, millennials, the checkbook is that thing you write your withdrawals and your deposits and you keep track. You, you'll have to ask your parents to see one. Is, is my checkbook reflect this? Or when I look down through this, does my checkbook reflect my love for Charles? Making sure that Charles' needs and needs are met. Making sure Charles is getting what he wants. Making sure Charles doesn't have any problem. What's my checkbook say? I, I don't know. Because wasting it all on Jesus could cost us financially. We see that in Mary's story. But it wasn't just her finances that it cost her. We learn from her single extravagant act of love that it cost her financially, but it also cost her her socially and her reputation. Let let me explain what I mean. Look again at verse 3 with me. It says this, 
Mary took the 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. Again, we read through this, but we don't stop to consider what's going on. There's two things we need to consider here. Because first, washing someone's feet, it was the job of, it was the, job of the servant, right? It wasn't the job of Mary. It was a humble act to do this. And during this time, we know their feet would have been gross. They walked on dirty streets and sandals. Their feet are going to get gross. I walk oftentimes by my house on the rails to trails. It's not paved. If you can pull any strings, anyone, please get that paved. It needs to be paved. But it's not. And my feet, my shoes are always dirty. My socks are always dirty. My legs get dirty every single time. Washing someone's feet feet here was a job that needed to be done, but it needed to be done by a servant, not Mary. You would think the disciples would start picking up on this and learning a lesson, but it's clear that they don't, because next week in chapter 13, you're going to read how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. They still didn't get it. Until verse 6 in in chapter 13, Peter kind of starts to peek up. And it says this, that when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And then he actually protested the Lord and said, no, 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 you will never ever wash my feet. Why? Because socially, this is unacceptable. It was inappropriate, and it was inappropriate for Mary to do such a thing. She was jeopardizing her social standing. She was wasting her social standing on Jesus. But then it gets even worse. Because let me remind you again in verse 3 what it said. She was wiping her feet with her hair. So not only was she risking her her social standing, she was, rep- she was wasting her reputation on Jesus. Because to truly get this, we kind of got to know the culture. The culture here of this time was that Jewish women would never, never let down their hair in public. And when I say never, I mean never. Because to let down, for a Jewish woman to let down her hair in public was the act of a prostitute. It was inappropriate. It was not the act of a proper young woman. So the disciples would have been shocked when they saw Mary do this. How inappropriate and embarrassing. Honestly, though, their shock shouldn't have come from Mary's overwhelming heart for her Savior. Their shock should have come from their own lack of understanding of the worth of their Savior. Because this wasn't the inappropriate act of a prostitute. This was the act of a woman who didn't stop to consider the cost of her reputation. That her devotion to the Lord was worth far more, far more than anyone could think of her socially or her reputation. Because wasting it all on Jesus is never a waste. And in Mary's wasting of her finances and her social standing and her reputation, I love how Jesus responds to her. I love what Jesus thought of her wasting. And it goes on to say this in John chapter 12, verse 7. Jesus replied, leave her alone. Clearly they were 
harassing her for this. They were giving her a hard time for this. In fact, Matthew, who also records this story, he gives us a little more detail about what Jesus said. And it goes on like this. Why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. To which I go, how crazy is it that this morning we are spending this time reading this story, remembering what she did and discussing it just as Jesus said we would. Here's the problem. And I won't say it's your problem. I'll say it's my problem. This is Charles's problem. You can decide if it's your problem. My problem is, is that I am so stinking self-conscious. I am so insecure. And, I, and I'm so much that way that I, I often fear what my devotion to Jesus is going to cost me socially fear what it's going to do to my reputation because I don't want other people to think I'm weird. You know, I don't, I don't want to be known as that guy. I mean, I, I, I'm sure this came from high school <laughs> because in high school, my family went to church every Sunday. And so my parents made me come to church. It wasn't an option in my family. Mom, dad going to church, you're coming to church. So we came to church. And so because of that, I developed this reputation in high school as the church kid. Not the most popular thing to be known as in high school. And I tell you what, I was embarrassed by this title. And so what did I do? I did what every kid does. I worked really, really hard at making sure I acted in ways and spoke in ways that everyone else would know I was just like them. I didn't want that title. And so I worked hard at it. I should have been happy to be looked at as different. I should have been happy and considered it joy to stand out from the rest. But I didn't. Because honestly, the truth is, you and I should look different than everyone else. If the world doesn't see us as different, then we got a problem. We should be different and we are. So my perspective since high school has changed. But yet, here I am as an adult, and it's still hard, isn't it? I, I mean, it's hard to risk it all on Jesus in social settings. And so I ask you this question. Do I concern myself with what others will think of my devotion to Christ? Meaning, am I afraid to be different? Am I embarrassed to be different? Because, I gotta be honest, true devotion to Jesus just might cost you socially. And it might cost your reputation. But remember, remember, wasting it all on Jesus is never a waste. So in this story, we see that Mary wasted her finances. We see that she wasted her social status. We see she wasted her reputation. But there was one more way that Mary wasted herself. I want to highlight this morning. But we got to jump out of the book of John just for a hot second. And we got to jump into the book of Luke and his account of a story that took place. So as I read this, see if you can figure out what Mary was wasting here. Luke chapter 10. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, 
they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. So did you catch it here? I mean, here we have Martha, right? She is working her fingers to the bone. She's being hospitable. She's cooking food. She's taking care of the guests. I mean, she could have used a little help for crying out loud. Where in the world is Mary? Oh, she just decided she was going to waste some time sitting at Jesus' feet. How inappropriate. How irresponsible of her. Mary should have been helping. I mean, there was so much to do, and Martha was feeling overwhelmed. Besides, culturally, it was inappropriate for Mary to be in that room with those guys anyway. To say that Martha was irritated is an understatement. In fact, she was so agitated by her sister that she goes running to the Lord to complain to him about her sister. And so she goes to the Lord and she says, Lord, tell Mary to get off her rear and come help me. That was Charles paraphrased. You won't find that in your Bibles, but it's there. He says, come help me. And then she's got to be thinking, well, if I get the Lord on my side, the Lord will tell her to come help me. And then she's got to listen to the Lord because Mary always does everything the Lord does. So so she's got to listen. And so then Jesus, he responds to Martha in this moment. And he says to her this, Martha, my dear Martha, this is such a term of love and care and respect and honor. My dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. Jesus knew Wasting it all on him was never a waste. To which I go, have you ever felt guilty about spending time with Jesus? I got to admit, I have. Have you ever felt guilty about resting? I have. I mean, as a pastor here at the chapel, one of my responsibilities is to be praying for you during the week. Another one of my responsibilities is to be reading and studying throughout the week. And I got to admit, I felt guilty doing that before. Because, look, there's so many things to do. (laughs) My to-do list is long. There's a lot of details to work out. There's lots of stuff that needs accomplished. Then I'm going to sit and just pray when there's all these things to do? I felt guilty about that before. And that is why I am so grateful for Pastor Eric's, his, his example in this. Many of you know he um, is one week into a five-week sabbatical time. And we go, man, is there a million things to do? Yes. Is Eric okay? 100% okay. But we all realize the importance of wasting time 
on Jesus, and he and his family are doing just that over these weeks. And I love that. I celebrate that, as you all should too, because we have a pastor who cares about wasting time on Jesus, and he, he discovered this, the one thing that was worth being concerned about, he discovered, and it won't be taken from him. Because wasting it all on Jesus might cost you your valuable time, but I promise you that that time is not going to be wasted. So let me button all this up for us real quick. As I button all this up, I, I ran across this quote by a woman named Joanna Weaver. She wrote a book called, I'm going to mess this up, it's called Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. And she wrote these words. Until we determine whom we will serve, we run the risk of developing a Judas heart instead of a heart of sacrificial love. For whenever our interests conflict with his interests, we'll be tempted to sell Christ off as a slave to the highest bidder rather than spend our all to anoint his feet. To which I went, okay, so who do I serve? do I serve? Do I serve Charles or do I serve Jesus? And, and, and then what are my interests? Are they conflicting with his interests? Am I serving the interest of Charles? Am I serving the interest of people or am I serving the interest of Jesus? To which I developed three questions I want you to take with you today. Either write them down or take pictures of them. I want you to talk about these three questions with your families and in your marriages this week, okay? So here you go. This is your homework. Question one, do our interests, do the interests of our family or our marriage, do they conflict with his interests? Do that. I want, I want you to ask that because if your answer to this is yes, we're conflicting, then it's time to start praying for heart change. It's time to start praying that he would change the desires of your heart to match the desires of his heart. I want you to answer this, and then you can go to question two. Question two is this. What is my motivation? What is our motivation here in our family and in our relationship for how we are living? Are we just trying to look good and earn social approval? Am I protecting my reputation here? Or am I willing to lay it all on the line for something or someone of far, far greater worth? What's our motivation? And then I want you to jump to the third question, which is maybe the hardest question. And it's this. Has the Lord been satisfied? Is he satisfied? Because I long to hear those words he spoke to the disciples when he said, leave her alone, leave him alone. It's incredible to me to think that our choices that we make and the actions that we make in our lives today could potentially be remembered and discussed forever. So choose wisely. This is a far greater reward than simply satisfying our own personal desires. Because look, someday my family and my friends are going to be standing up here and they're going to be talking about Charles and they're going to be remembering me and they're going to be sharing about me. And when they do, I tell you, as a father, a son, a, a husband, and a Christ follower, I would count it pure joy if they remembered me as a man who wasted it all 
Jesus? How do you want to be remembered? And so this week, I challenge you, what is Jesus calling you to waste on him? Is he calling you this week to waste your finances? Meaning, is there someone that needs some help that you could put their needs above your own? Is there a ministry or a mission that you want to support? Is there something you can do that you are being called to financially waste yourself this week? Or is it maybe wasting your reputation as that person at school or that person at work that you've been wanting to tell about Jesus, you've been wanting to share your story, you've been wanting to invite them to church, but it's just a little risky and so you've been dragging your feet. Is it time to waste it all on Jesus? Or maybe he's calling you to waste some time this week. Maybe you have a lot of things to do, and time is a precious commodity. But to take a few extra moments this week, checking in on someone, caring for someone, or a few extra minutes praying this week, or a few extra minutes even in devotion or studying the Word this week, maybe He's calling you to waste some time on him because that time is never going to be wasted. And so I promise you this, when your family and your friends and even society as a whole, it looks at us and it begins to question our sanity. Wasting it all on Jesus is never a waste. So let me pray for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Mary. Thank you for her heart, her perspective. Lord, that she weighed all of those things against the worth of you, and she found them to pale in comparison. Lord, I thank you for her example, her encouragement, and also her challenge. Lord, challenge us this week, Lord, to have her heart in this. Lord, that that our worship would come from a knowledge that you are worthy. And you are far greater than anything we can imagine. So, Lord, we look to you. Guide and direct us in this. Change our hearts where they need to be changed. Give us your desires so that ours match up, please. I ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Hey, have a great week. We will see you next weekend.